So, uh, septic tank expert, gear guy, fantastic. What do you, we, we, we didn't, didn't kill it. We didn't I don't say know. Go. Okay. Uh, no, forget it. <sighs> we get you're over. a boss, but we could actually go. With RJ, that. Connie, Nihon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got it. Blue dildos. <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> The words of Connie Nyholm in this episode of Dinner with Razors do not necessarily reflect the opinions or views of the owners. <laughs> Try it again. Don't tell us Don't until we say if word. you could describe when you hear if you could describe this in one word, what would it be? That's when you answer it. Got it? Okay, I'll just right. point at you. Yeah. <laughs> when I point, you say words. So septic tank expert. Car guy. Handler of Harvey Siegel. And also <laughs> a one-time winner. In the great Harvey Siegel, Connie Nyholm track rivalry. Connie Nyholm, if you could describe this dinner we just had in one word, what would it be? Unbelievably fun. (laughs) I know that's two words. It's like two words and like a hyphen. And a sentence at the end. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. Sure. I'll let that. We'll let it go. Do you not want to say the other thing you said earlier? Blue Delta. <laughs> <laughs> and now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio Welcome to Dinner with Racers. Dinner with Racers. This is a special episode based off of our brand new Amazon Prime series. We are on Amazon Prime in a six-part documentary series. So what we've done is we've, uh, you know, we're in a limited time slot when you're on TV, as I know now, and we over-record everything, don't we, Sean? Yep. Yeah, we do. And that's just how it is, right? That's how uh, everyone does it. Okay, so I'm not thinking this is just you this is how the whole no, world every, does everyone uh-huh. when they're doing uh uh-huh. when they're doing a mini documentary yeah. would spend nine days in virginia exactly and because of that we ended up with a lot of extra cool stuff so when we went to vir we sat down with anybody who's anybody that has anything to do with vir one of the most colorful and vibrant people i've ever met in racing is connie nyholm who is the owner of virginia international raceway when you go to VIR as a racer, as a fan, it doesn't matter. If you're on the track property, you're going to somehow, some way, run into Connie. You're going to see her. We actually saw her picking up trash during one of the races while we were there doing this episode. So part of the experience of VIR is knowing, is knowing Connie. So we talked to her about her upbringing, her relation to the area, as well as just what it's like to be the owner of one of the most popular tracks in North America. We were lucky enough to have dinner on the premises at VIR at the world-famous Oak Tree Tavern, which if you watch our Amazon Prime series, we have a, we get into a lot of the history of that place. But we had a really great dinner that was completely provided by the track. As you would expect with everything that's VIR, it was one of the most quality meals we could have asked for. Uh, Ryan, what did you have? I think I had steak. I think, I think Connie and I both had steak, and we loved it. Yeah, I... Uh, I, I, you know, I had a chicken sandwich, so I didn't also have the amazing steak. Are you sure? Because I thought we... No, oh, I okay. I, uh, I am a consistent man because okay. that's how jokes work. Okay. So, so uh, I had the chicken sandwich. I did not also have the really good steak, medium rare. I remember having like a racer's rum punch and uh, Connie's a 
Yeah, she and I, we, we had a couple drinks. It was a good time. So here it goes. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. You, you knew you had the interview with us today and dyed hair for one of your partners <laughs> and a T-shirt. And that's like, that's the day-to-day Connie look. That's the day-to-day Connie look. Unless I like it's it. really, really hot, and then I wear a sundress. Ah, Big okay. forgiveness with the VR necklace. Sean does that too sometimes. Yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We do, <laughs> do the same thing. Do you shave thing. before you wear it? Or? Good question. <laughs> All right, you just won. From the waist so, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, All right. He's more I'm, of a waxer. I'm seeing the yeah. beard, so I'm wondering. You know? <laughs> well, so we had a, uh, a track president in our first season. Yeah. Uh, and she had a very strict policy of no jeans in the office. Yes, and I'm friends with that track president, okay. Joe and Campbell. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's going to be here Wednesday staying at my house oh. for the event. Oh, we got to mic her up. Yeah, there you yeah. go. All yeah. right. Um, <laughs> but it seems like you're not necessarily of the same mindset in terms of how, how everybody has to run here. No, we're looking at uniform policy, but we pretty much go with the flow that as long as on the big event weekends or when we have, you know, important meetings, we need to dress appropriately. But we like everybody's personality to shine through, too. And sometimes a strict dress code inhibits that. So we're at the Oak Tree Tavern and the bar is Connie's Pub. Yeah. Did you do that or did somebody do that for you? Ex-boyfriend for my 45th birthday had that sign made and then harvey who i think you've met said my wife will kill me if we put that up there okay let's just do it (laughs) and so it's moved a couple of times in there but everybody likes it and everybody knows that it's connie's pub yeah so that's what it became that's what it became all right well let's uh let's go back a little bit because people don't necessarily know who you are in the grand scheme of what we're doing about vir so young connie nyholm is that did i did i get the right the last name right right you did okay good all right, so you're running a track today. Was racing in 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 the young Connie's life? Hell no. Okay. <laughs> so I was always a car guy. Loved car shows. Just kind of always wanted to be out. With car guy. Car guy. Yeah. Everybody's a car guy. So you're okay with with when when the word guys is meant just universally about things yeah, like that? Very okay. Okay. I mean, you got an Audi. I got an Innie. That's about the only difference. So you know. <laughs> I'm good with being a car guy. I was like, I do not have... Oh, right. I see what you're saying. <laughs> so, went to a bunch of car shows with my now ex-husband, who was a Swedish guy. And if you've ever been to Scandinavia, it's full of great big American cars called Ragerbil. And so, we would go to a lot of car shows. Then I got the call from Harvey's number two person, Peggy, that he had put a track in Virginia under contract and asked me if I knew where Danville was. And I said, well, doesn't everybody? I grew up half hour from there, Martinsville. And I came to New York and um, interviewed with Harvey and the rest became history. So I'd never been to racetrack in my life, never got invited to Martinsville, even though I grew up there. Then we started going around looking at racetracks. We went up to Lime Rock for the fall festival because Harvey's a vintage guy and it was a Bugatti feature and they had their little leather helmets and it was really cool. Then we went to the Glen, which made a bigger impression. You know, it's about the same size and age as VIR, and it was an Allard feature. And I had never even heard of Allard. Right. So I jump out in the middle of the road in front of Allard, and Harvey grabs me by the shoulders and pulls me back and says, drum brakes, are you crazy? Can't stop. And I'm like, drum brakes, what the hell? You know, so (laughs) I'm like, it's the prettiest car I've ever seen. And Harvey said, girls don't drive Allards. So guess who got a 1953 J2X and raced it? So, you know, I've 
kind of fell into it pretty quick. I really liked the <clears throat> the lifestyle and all the people we met. And still to this day, one of the things I love most about VIR is no one has to come here. The only people who come here choose to come here. Yeah. And that's really cool. Yeah. And so we treat each one of them special because they made the decision to be here. So you grew up in Martinsville, Virginia. I did. Obviously, Martinsville has its own huge raising heritage. But... but you weren't part of this at all growing up. So mom and dad did not care. They just lived in Martinsville because they had a regular job. Yeah, my dad was a small real estate developer. They grew up in Roanoke were high school sweethearts and somehow found themselves in Martinsville. And dad would go to the races, but he would go about 50 laps in and leave about 50 laps before the end just to go to the box and see his buddies and not have the traffic. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, so not exactly a diehard. Yeah, yeah no. he's just more about the good time versus Oh, yeah, the race. then he came home and put golf on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so okay. Sure. We had like zero exposure to racing. Okay. 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 Yeah. So real estate became sort of your original career endeavor. Right. Um, so where did where did you and Harvey first cross paths? Well, Harvey's right hand Peggy and I were on the founding members of WIRE, Women in Retail Real Estate. It was a uh, networking group for women in New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut that had anything to do with retail real estate. So we had shopping mall leasing agents, shopping mall site selectors, publishers. I represented the freestanding retail site selector because I located 60 Monroe muffler break stores and Rite Aid and McDonald's and, you know, the freestanding things. So we had seven of us with different specialties, and we started this group, and we would meet once a month, and then the guys started to lobby to come to our group. So we would sell out Sardis in Times Square once a year when we let all the guys come. And it was really fun. And so when Harvey put VIR in the contract, then Peggy said, well, now what? And he said, you know, we need to find some help. And she said, well, I know this girl that grew up near there, and maybe she'll come and help you. And so I went to, um, internet was kind of new. This was in uh, 1998. So I went to the biggest Barnes and Noble in New York trying to figure out what an Elva was because Harvey drove an Elva Courier. And I wanted to, you know, kind of know what I was talking about. I never found an Elva Courier. (laughs) So I walk into his office and there's pictures and trophies and stuff everywhere. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, so I'm just walking around and asking questions and what is this and where is this and how'd that work? And, you know, and he's like, you know, we finally sat down and had our interview and um, he was very distracted. We'll just put it nicely that way. And by the end of the interview, I'm like, well, let me ask you a few questions. And then we parted ways and uh, we really want to work together. So I shut down my real estate brokerage business and started working with Harvey and had a sweat equity position and earned myself in ultimately to 25%. Then when my parents passed on, I bought another 25%. So we were 50-50 when yeah. we split. and. Um, in 2012 and now I'm 58 and Kathy Stout my new partner's 42. So you have two women that own VIR yep. and you're the majority. Yeah. And I'm the boots on the ground. Kathy's been an excellent partner. Yeah. She and her husband Jim really treat it more as an investment. They're not involved in the day-to-day operations. They're supportive of, mm-hmm. you know, what we do and have enjoyed, you know, seeing the growth and the staff mature into bigger better. And you were telling me earlier that Kathy and her husband own Pit Race. Pit Race, the new track in Pittsburgh, just outside of Pittsburgh. Previously Beaver Run. Right. Now Pit Race. They've made a ton of improvements there. They're real excited about everything they're doing. Huge karting program, too. Cool. So commercial real estate, 80s, 90s, and I don't know, uh, but I get the impression that probably wasn't known for being sort of a woman's business at that time. No, that's why we started the women in retail real estate. There was such a 
need mm-hmm. right. for um you know people to be able to have others to network with and have a different dynamic right i've just never been very good at that i was asked to be part of it because i was a leading freestanding retail real estate site yeah. selector and you've I, never been good at sort of like the women all thing women's kind of <laughs> the woman thing yeah <laughs> what they call it the movement but yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever yeah <laughs> it's like so like in high school we're we're most we, the, the girl that was always hanging out with the guys but not dating them just hanging out because you, you just liked hanging out yeah always the older guys yeah so it, i mean i just don't get it I've never felt discriminated against. I've never felt like anything was a barrier. Either you do it or you don't. Damn it. You know, and that's it. And you don't have to be bitchy to get your point across. You just have to, you know. I mean, I tell people I had one rule growing up, and my dad, God bless him, he would say, tell me what you're going to do, and then do what you told me. I'm like, Dad, I don't want to do that. He's like, one rule. So that's what I do. I say, well, I'm going to go to this party. I'm probably going to get too drunk. Probably going to be with some people you wouldn't like, and I'm probably going to call you to come get me. And they would. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, I mean, we're talking, you said you were uh, 33 years old. Is that correct? Yeah. 33, going, thir- going on 34. Yeah, yeah. If I could do advanced math, that'd be plus 27, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know anything 60. about advanced math, yeah. but, um, but it, 1959, just like that Cadillac with the big fins, my fine 59. Nice. So 1959 and you're coming out of the Virginia Martinsville area. And I'm pretty sure there was a lot of like, you know, women's oppression. It seems to me like your personality completely overdid that right away because you don't seem to be the person yeah. that hand like you don't deal with it and you also don't seem like to me the first time i met you i was like oh she can run with anybody you know what i mean you just seem to you can go in any conversation you're going to be just fine i like just fine you know i like (laughs) i mean i like lots of people and different things and if you didn't have an open mind you wouldn't get very far and my god i started this without ever going to a racetrack (laughs) you know i needed to be surrounded with people way smarter than i was in a lot of different areas and you know my goal is to be you know, motivating, energetic to help find ways to move the business forward, to, you know, make good friends who can help guide us and then let the people run, you know, so. Right. We'll probably come back to this, but just since it's on the same subject, when Harvey had you come down here and start helping start like the business of VIR, did you catch any sort of, you know, pushback because you're a woman? Cause that's like late nineties, but this is still a very Southern part of the world. This is very Southern. Yeah. And, um, our biggest mistake in the way we approach rebuilding VIR, because we paved over the old track. I mean, we protected all the history mm-hmm. encapsulated it in a new asphalt with all the, you know, safety and modern stuff, but we didn't have a champion. And in this area, any new industry really needs a local champion who takes credit for everything they do mm-hmm. and helps advocate them to the community. Well, in New York, where Harvey and I were living, he was in the city and I was in Putnam Valley about an hour north. Mm-hmm. You know, you do everything under the radar and then you come out quietly, you know, just get all your permits, be good, you know, open it and they will come. That didn't work so well. Not here. Because, so, I mean, the local community, everybody kind of knows each other. So if you don't have somebody that's already got that built-in like, trust, no, they're good, local, they're good. Yeah, yeah. He's, if you're not sort of vouched for in the Southern Virginia community, yeah. especially like, yes, you're from this area, but you, you're the big New York real estate woman and yeah. Harvey yeah. is Harvey. Boss lady. Exactly. Yeah. And, so uh, the uh, economic developer at the time, this great guys at the time was older guy to me when I was 38, Bill Confroy, he, you know, he just got right up in my face one day. He says, you know, you're not one of us. You're a 540. 
which was Martinsville's area code. And I'm like, well, if that's the way you're going to be, F you, I'm a 212. Right. <laughs> so, okay, so just to be clear, Martinsville, yeah. which is maybe 20 miles north of here. Yeah, it's probably a little more than that. Okay. But it's not that okay. far away. Okay. No, it's yeah. very close. Yeah. Yeah. So Martinsville, which isn't that much further north from, it's still Southern Virginia. It's I on think, the sign. Me, but you you right. get, yeah. yeah. No, it's definitely, we are in the same region politically, right. geopolitically. Everything right. we do engages yeah. Martinsville in our footprint. But if you were from the big city of Martinsville out here in the Danville Alton area, you were an outsider. Yes. So these two New York types. Right. Wow. Okay. Uh, it was very interesting. And we, um, and this is like 1998, the internet exists, as you mentioned, yeah, right, just barely right, it yeah. didn't have an alpha courier on it, but not that I could find, <laughs> but like Seinfeld was already out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seinfeld I mean? like, was out. Yeah. Like, yeah. They had this, a this D&W isn't... sticker on their refrigerator, which was our first industrial park tenant. Yeah. Was, so we're like, yeah. cool. Okay. And so didn't Kerrigan, had, Kerrigan worked there, right? Yeah. yeah Kerrigan exactly. worked there. That's yeah. where he, you know, came from. So, People would ask me things, and I couldn't decide if they really wanted me to answer them or they were just baiting me to, you know, set me up for failure. So I would always answer them that, well, if you ask me a question, I'm happy to share my opinion. If you want to hear it, I will share it unfiltered. And I warn you, I don't do warm and fuzzy well, so please forgive me for my candor. Well, after saying that a few times, they just got used to it. They're like, this is kind of refreshing. And then it stopped, and I just started doing business like everybody else. Okay. All right, so you meet Harvey through your mutual friend Peggy, who is part of your women's association. Um, were, did you, within a, a women's organization in commercial real estate in the early 90s, did you stand out within that group? Because you seem to hang with the guys. You don't seem to care about any of the sort of feminine things that you're told you're supposed to care yeah. about. Uh, were the other women in that group like that, or was it specific to you? Uh, probably about a third were, okay. because they were already in a male-dominated field, right? and they were successful, or they wouldn't have been part of our group. Right. And then, like that pebble in the pond, as the, the ripples went outward, we got more and more kind of wallflowers or whatever who were looking for a way to be a little more, have you know a different networking experience, and so it started to reach... across a lot more people over the three states that we covered and then the guys came and and that was a (laughs) fun dynamic too yeah right in terms of peggy being able to sort of identify you as this is the person that really needs to partner with harvey it was because you stood out in the sense that you could hang with the boys oh absolutely i mean peggy managed harvey and and harvey loved to be managed i mean he was like i surround myself with great women because they know what they're doing they're much more strict they keep me in line I get it. Yeah. You know, yeah, just, yeah. He liked it. So yeah, we tried and they just won't hang out with us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think they've seen my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also not only that, you also came from the area. So there is that, you yeah, know, that was that, a huge benefit to yeah. the partnership because my dad was still doing okay. Yeah. And he was a real estate developer. He had a lot of contacts in the area. So he introduced us to Carter bank and trust our banker that, you know, who's going to finance this place? Right. No one's ever done what we did. And so we didn't have a big fancy business plan in bound right. leather or anything. Right. You know, we right. figured it out on our little plane back and forth from New York. And we got our first bite of the apple with um, really favorable loan terms. Met our, a lot of our contractors through my dad, the zoning guys through my dad. They said, oh, you're Earl Green's daughter. You know, oh, we know Earl. If you're a chip off the old block, that's good enough for us. Right. You know, so it was very helpful. And Harvey, we just had 
really complementary strengths and weaknesses. Like we're in the Red Room at the Tavern, which Ralph Lawrence sent a decorator here to pick our colors and fabrics and stuff. But Harvey loved the decor. I laid water and sewer. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to do decor. He didn't want to do water and sewer. Right, right. So Harvey's sitting here like, check out these swatches. You're like, He's got different- cool, yeah, we still got a two-mile ditch we have to build, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Dear, like, yeah, the septic tanks are overflowing again. We're going to have to dig out another well. Well, we <laughs> got a like- four-and-a-half million-dollar grant to ex- extend our water and sewer after one year because we had used up all the lovely little septics and right. wells. And so meanwhile, like- he's like, is that fuchsia? Does that right. look like fuchsia yeah. to you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he would call it. His villa was crimson, the new red. Oh. No, persimmon, the new red. Persimmon, and the new red. And mine was black. Because right. it was, you know, someone has to have the manly one. So that's yours. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, because you're persimmon the new red, and I'm black, the man's got. Is this you know? persimmon? Is this persimmon in here? This is Ralph Lauren red. Okay, this is Ralph Lauren red. Okay. Sure. Yeah. It's the red room. Okay. okay, sure. So you were in the field when things are getting built. You're friends with all the construction guys yeah, that exactly. are doing all the, all the real work. There were four of us, the four musketeers. Okay. Um, did Harvey have a nickname when no. he would show up among construction guys? No. Later, oh. he got one in staff. We, we called him one? Hurricane, Hurricane Harvey, because that's the way he came in, and that's the way he left. So he would yeah, come topical. in, you'd have an agenda, and now all of a sudden, we were agenda. all over the place. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what you thought were the priorities are now very different than the instant yes, he leaves. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Persimmon. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you're worried about another mile of septic line, and he's yeah, worried right. that Persimmon doesn't come in for six right, months. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What about you? What are the nicknames? Well, Harvey always called me a spark plug. Spark plug, yeah, I've heard that about you. So yeah. that was, you know, that one kind of stuck. And what they call me behind my back, I don't know. That'd be interesting. Well, we did some research. No, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things that we really liked about BIR as a story is the VHS tape, basically, of you guys driving around this place. Oh, in 1998? Yeah. Yeah. So if you could relive your first steps onto this property after Harvey's kind of done the you know, working with the locals and the people that own the property. What was your first experience? Boots on the ground here on the property. I remember it like it was yesterday. And so Harvey and I had gone to meet with the zoning administrator in Halifax. And then I'm begging him, please, can we go see the property? Please, can we go see the property? So we finally come over and we get through some, you know, dilapidated gate and we drive up the oak tree turn and there's trees growing out of it, but the oak tree is huge, you know, in the turn. And we step around the side, and you can kind of see down the alley where it all falls out going down to turn 14 and what's now the south course and 10. And I'm like, holy <laughs> This place is gorgeous. It's huge. Yeah. I have finally gotten a way to come home and do a great big development, you know, take care of my parents, do real estate, have a, you know, huge, diverse future ahead with you know just blank sheet of paper and a lot of dreams which harvey was all about and i mean i'm just vibrating i'm so excited and then um the burnett's come over larry burnett who was grazing cattle on the property and his dad ray and they had a big um d10 dozer and they're leaning up against it and larry says so harvey tell me what you want to do here (laughs) And Harvey's like, well, you know, we're going to do, we're going to make this, you know, like a modern road course, protecting all the history. We're just keepers of the legacy. It's going to be amazing. And it's going to be a lot of work. So don't shoot the goose who lays the golden egg. And, and Harvey's, Larry's like, uh-huh. <laughs> and then he looks at his daddy who puts his arms across his chest and goes, uh-huh. <laughs> and Harvey's like, what? And so um, Larry looks at Harvey and he goes, well, Harvey, 
I have met a lot of people talked about redoing BIR. And what you're saying, that dog don't hunt. And Harvey's like, I like that. So <laughs> that became Harvey's like, new thing. He's I'm like, like, what does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> well, he asked me that later. So we talked with them, and they, in the course of conversation, found out that my dad was Earl Green, and they knew him and yeah. said, all right, well, you know, Connie's here, so that's encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we went on down to um, Pit Lane where all the cows were grazing. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and the hog pen was there in 17. I mean, it was all here. Right. And we're down there, and Harvey's walking around like, you know, like he owns a place. And um, <laughs> I pick up a cow patty and threw it at him to get yes. his attention. Yes. And he's like, ooh, poo. And I'm like, Harvey, it's just dried grass. <laughs> and Larry and Ray are looking at each other like, who is this guy? <laughs> right. What was he wearing? Oh, well, press khakis, um, these really <laughs> nice Italian shoes, something Naturally. plaid tucked in tightly with a fanny belt. He always had a he fanny belt. He had a fanny belt. Always. In 1998. Always. <sighs> that had to go real well here Come in Southern on, Virginia. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, and when it got cold, because that March when we were building, it was so cold. And he had two Russian hats that he would wear together. <laughs> I don't know how he got two of them on his head. And um, two pairs of pants. I see why he needed you. Yeah. yeah he right. was just, yeah. he just showed up by just, himself. They, they would have chewed him up, spit him out. He never made it. Well, you know, he's so endearing. Everybody nice. ended up just loving him. And they said, well, he's just this really eccentric Jewish guy from New York. And uh, whatever. <laughs> that must be how they all are. And I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> so obviously he had a brick phone, right? Tell me. Oh, yeah. He, yes. Absolutely. Good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good times. Yeah. And yeah. then he had a flip phone that he could never really work. <laughs> yeah. And the watch he never gave Eric. Right. So. Good. Solid. Good. Okay. Yeah. So you've mentioned two different occasions where your father, not like he was there with you vouching for you, just the fact that you were his daughter and his name was Eric Green. Is that what Earl. Said? So Earl Green is a name that's just known within the area. Mm-hmm. And that's the credit system that you need. Yeah, that gave me street credits right there. I mean, I came in from New York much more brash than my father. Right. (laughs) But um, we were, we look a lot alike. And and obviously I had a lot of the chip off the old block and it didn't take long to gain people's trust because, you know, I was a continuation series. But that's sort of the culture out here. So like if Harvey had not done this on his own, he had nobody there. And it's not like your dad ever showed up and vouched and said like, no, 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 this is real. Connie is here to to do this for me. You just happen to genetically be linked to this guy, but that means you're honorable. Yeah. And so that played a role in two things. One, when it came time to have everybody approve the idea of you guys taking this over, but also just the financing side when you found the, the bank to work with out here. In both of those cases, Earl Green was sort of the key linking factor in all yeah, this. Yeah, he was just, uh, um, he opened lots of doors. He was a real bridge builder. He loved partnerships. He didn't own anything individually. Every single thing he ever owned or built was as a partnership. So that came naturally to me also. Right. So your dad was a real estate guy out here? He was a real estate guy. Okay. He had a couple of small apartment buildings and freestanding retail. And he started off finding 7-Eleven sites. So my sister and I would ride in the back seat and count houses. And if we got the same number twice, we got ice cream. Nice. That so. was demographics back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so your dad is basically zoning by saying, all right, 100 yeah. houses from this one to this one, and yeah. now we're good. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So and it's cool. going to cost him $4 at Dairy Queen. Yeah. 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 Dairy Mart. Or what is it? Dairy Heart? Hmm. What's the local? It's Yeah, that's Dairy Heart. Dairy Heart. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Is it still like that today in 2019 that, that if you're somebody's nephew or somebody's son or daughter? I think that's that, global. 
I was going to say, I mean, I've, this I've, is how my career got started because I don't come from money, but my dad was a crew chief and had a reputation. So I, I use the internet to get, uh, people to at least let me come talk to them about working for him. And I literally was like, my dad is John Eversley and I wasn't just somebody now it's like, okay, you're known entity through, you know, your family. And they weren't like, you're obviously going to be good at this, but they were like, well, at least we know who you are. Yeah. And that's part but, of it. Right. I think it's certainly a door opener because at least they know what they want to expect. Yeah. I mean, God forbid dad was an asshole. Oh yeah. You know, exactly. Because then, you know, yeah, I'm yeah, coming as coming a, too, sure. yeah. you know, New York woman and you know, it's just, he wasn't, he had that gift of just endearing people. So mm-hmm. when the building we're sitting in now, the tavern, the night we opened this, I was at a tobacco commission meeting getting our four and a half million dollar sewer grant in Blacksburg. <laughs> and I had to get back As here for do. the opening. As you do. Yeah. And so I charged a little plane. And so I asked our local political representatives if they wanted to come back with me and come to the grand opening and they could come on the plane and then we'd figure out their cars. And of course they all said yes. <laughs> and so I'm talking to Paula. I'm like, so we just got this big grant. This is our big, our first home run and um, we need champagne. <laughs> and he's like, uh, I'm like seven 11, anything. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know? right, so right, that's right. what we did. And we had, you know, cheap champagne, but at least we had it. And we yeah. all came on the little plane and we landed in Danville and came here and we had to park way down the hill because it was crowded with the, you know, grand opening. And we got halfway up the hill and I could hear my daddy laughing. And I said, Oh, daddy's in there holding court. <laughs> I hadn't seen, yeah. I didn't even know they were here, but he and my mom were here. So I walked in and mom was sitting at the base of the stairs with her cocktail and dad was in the corner of the bar entertaining the crowd. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, party's here. <laughs> right, right. You mentioned your grand opening. Uh, I have to know, just in terms of the you and Harvey partnership, that let's call it the two weeks leading to the grand opening. What percentage of your time would you say you were putting into the new sewer? For here? Yeah. N- getting that grant. Getting I, that grant. I mean, I was all about, you know, doing all the applications and meeting all the politicians. Right. I mean, I went to mm-hmm. Richmond and met everybody and told them our story and what we needed. And right. I legislated our ABC bill because this was a dry county. And, right. you know, I was out there doing the make it happen. I have no idea what the invitation list looked like or what the food was going to be or right, any of right, that right, stuff right. because Harvey did all that. And that's kind of where I was going is I get the impression that like the the, the, the weeks it takes to get a grand opening going, I'm guessing 100% of your focus was on the operation and build of the business, nothing to do with that. And I'm Absolutely. guessing Harvey exclusively worked on the, uh, the grand opening. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But he made everything right. You know, people had a good time. The presentation was perfect. The details were there. He just, you know, he had a gift for that, and I did not. So right. I'm like, here, you do the grand opening. Yeah. I'll get the grant. This reminds me of my partner a little bit. I sense like, like, this sounds really like, familiar. Yeah, like, uh, uh, not, not Ryan, but my yeah, business Jason. partner. Yeah. Um, the, the, the difference between Ryan and I are... Geez, I was like, I'm technically your business partner, too. Yeah, okay. My, so, uh, I'm like, I was starting to get confused. Yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, my business partner and projects outside of this, uh, the, the difference between him is we like to say, I'm the guy you call if you want to get it done right, and he's the guy you call if you want to get it done. Well, it's like... Our only position here that's had a lot of turnover is the top spot. You know, the general manager, now the president, previously the COO, Kerrigan. And, um, you know, Harvey would just hire people. And, you know, they didn't really fit. And so we struggled through that. And I was, he was the visionary and I was his implementer. And then as we kept going forward, then Harvey said, look, you've got your own vision now. 
we are just keepers of the legacy for our time. It's time for me to, you know, go aside and you to step up and, you know, you need to find a way to buy me out. Well, that was about the same time I brought Kerrigan in because I'm like, if I'm now going to be the visionary by myself, you know, or without Harvey, I should say, I really need a strong integrator. And so that's when Kerrigan came in and he then started to build his team. And most of the people that were here are still here, but he's wrapped them in some other folks that he wanted in an organizational structure that we have devised. And that's been really awesome and fun journey for us. Yeah. So you guys have your grand opening and your family's here to see it. And it's like a big, you know, it's a big moment because one of the reasons personally that I thought this would be a great story and, and Sean had his reasons as well is that racetracks don't come back anymore. Like when they go under, they yep. become malls or neighborhoods or parking lots. Yeah, or, we looked at a bunch of them. Right. And Harvey looked at even more without me. We right. went to Marlboro, Vineland. So you come from Martinsville and you know, racing city, but not necessarily something that, that held your family. You go into commercial real estate, racing is definitely not part of your, your livelihood. When um, Harvey's uh, business partner, Peggy, brings up the idea of, of putting you two together, what was the first approach like? With Peggy? Yeah, or, or Harvey, like when you first hear that you should talk to Harvey about <laughs> I said, are you crazy? Track. I said, you talk about him like he's a moron in all of our meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why would I want to work with him? She goes, <laughs> she goes, well, he's not really that bad. He's not that bad. Right. And so, you know, then I tried to figure out what an Elva was and go in and meet with Harvey with an open mind because my parents are getting older and frankly are not doing that great and I'd love to get home and a big real estate development at home that can so timing wise I mean you're, I mean you're, it was just perfect and yeah. then I meet Harvey and he's hilarious and right. charming and even though he's you know kind of a flake and <laughs> you know out there with lots of energy and unfocused you know whatever it appealed to me and we just were really complimentary we laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed because if we stop having fun we're not going to do it anymore right and we never stopped having fun right. that's awesome I mean I talked to him for an hour yesterday <laughs> there you go uh, so at this point in your life, you're mid thirties and you're kind of at that age where your parents are starting to get older. You start thinking I should spend more time at home, which, uh, yeah. I hope my parents never watch this cause then I'm going to be guilted. Yeah. Uh, so it was just sort of a serendipitous thing. Then it's opportunity came up. You have no interest in running a racetrack as much as taking on a big development near your parents. Exactly. Yeah. And then when I got to know people in racing, which in early ones was Peter Krause and, you know, just different people that were coming out to look at it and help us and make that 1998 video I didn't know they were doing. I mean, I just really liked everybody. And they had great ideas, great stories, great aura. They were just, you know, full of energy and sincerity and genuine love for the sport. And I'm like, you know, I like this. And then, you know, soon after we opened, well, it actually was a Paul Newman story. So I got a call from a friend who said, you know, I have a guy who'd like to come out to the track to see it today are you available and I said well north course is Indy cars on, testing on south course and he goes okay so he shows up got a little Porsche Boxster he goes let's go warm up the tires he'll be here any minute we go out I mean if we did that today Kerrigan would shoot me so you know but this is back in the day <laughs> right and uh so he says why don't you drive I'm like, oh, I've never driven the track. He goes, you built it and you've never driven it? And I'm like, no. And so he's telling me what to do. And we're going through hog pen. Right. And he's saying, more gas, more gas, more gas. Stop lifting. You know, and he's telling me. <laughs> we get in after a couple of laps and I am beat red, sweaty, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
so excited I can hardly stand myself. We pull into pit lane, there's Paul Newman. <laughs> I'm like, damn it. I don't, I said, is I don't your, look good. Is this your special friend? He goes, yeah. And I'm like, okay. So I get out and I'm like, oh, Mr. Newman. He goes, well, you want to ride? And I'm like, hell yeah. You know, so I get in the passenger seat and off we go. And we're going up the north course and he's taking it, what looks to me like a bad line. What do I know? <laughs> You know, I've done this a day, which so, meant you were perfect for racing. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm smacking his leg like, you're going to spin, you're going to spin. Oh, I've ridden with a lot of people. I've just never driven. And he looks at me, and he twitches the car around and takes off like a scalded cat. And I'm like, God, you're awesome. You're awesome. And I'm hitting his leg. And he goes, stop hitting me. <laughs> so I sat on my hands the whole rest of the ride. And then we got into the kitchen, and he ate my hot spices. <laughs> Now, if if, I edit this a certain way. Now, for the kids at home, (laughs) what she means is literally there are spices on the table right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That he liked. And he says, I'm not much of a... You're not helping this at all. I know. You want this rumor is what you're saying. It's so true. You know, he's like, I hate to be a name dropper because I'm not much of one, but Sean Connery, he can eat really hot spices. Then he starts telling Sean Connery stories about peppers. I'm like, whatever. You don't strike me as somebody who gets starstruck. No, but Paul Newman seems to have not. that effect on everybody. No, it, it was, he, was, he was so funny, mm-hmm. you know, with the because we were under construction. We ate lunch at a picnic table in our kitchen, and he gave us grief the whole time about not having Paul Newman salad dressing. So he was Company just a, a businessman. Yeah. He was just a regular guy having <laughs> fun kids. with his buddies and not yeah. being Paul Newman. And, you know, you hear a lot of stories about that now. I didn't until I met him, and then the stories just come out. But he was just a good regular guy, which, again— made us happy you know what we were doing for others you know open a vir to bring all kinds of people is that when the quote came out is that when it's from originally yeah when he was leaving he said man if there's a heaven on earth that's vir and i said may we use that and he goes absolutely yeah that's awesome i'm like okay if you stand at oak tree right now can you close your eyes and kind of remember all the trees growing up and the broken pavement and everything yeah because it's so nice now, you know what I mean? We, we, we drove around it yesterday for a couple hours and, and I very rarely get to just go drive around a racetrack, you know, and look around, especially at sunset. And it was really nice because this is one of, this is my favorite racetrack. So it's kind of cool that we were out there dicking off. <laughs> I mean, we're yeah. making something pretty cool here, yeah. but it was like, we're, we're driving a, my little van. I don't know if you saw it down at the. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when in the winter, I mean, the sunsets yeah. here are crazy. Yeah. I mean, there are so many colors and they last so mm-hmm. long and they look like a huge storm coming in. Right. And I, I like to walk. And so I love to do sunset in the winter and sunrise in the summer. Yeah. So normally when somebody starts something or is considering something, there's a lot of things that there's sort of an epiphany moment that's usually preceded by a lot of doubt. You sort of, I, I, either I don't know about racing or I don't, this is so different from a shopping mall, which is what I know how to develop. Uh, what were the things that were telling you, ah, this is not a good idea? You know, I never really doubted it in the early days. It was um, more a matter of, oh my God, this thing is hungry. I mean, two foot, I mean, $2 a square, uh, lineal foot for fencing is nothing until you do 10 miles of it. And... And are we, you know, are we capable of raising slash spending enough to make it what it needs to be? So that was a recurring theme. But, you know, we came to believe that it's a good thing we have a sharp pencil and we can't just burnt money all over it because then we have to be careful and we have to do it right. And we have to do it right the first time. So, you know, that was pretty easy to adopt. That's kind of the way I grew up. And um, the only time I was really scared of it is when 
it was time to buy Harvey out because we talked about it in like 2010 and I chickened out. And then we talked about it again like 2011, he chickened out. And then 2012, Obama was changing the tax law and Harvey said, you have to do it. I mean, you are the visionary now. You have to do it and we're going to make this work. And he did. I mean, getting all the numbers together, renegotiating with the bank and bringing the stouts on board and I'm in the middle negotiating a three-way basically and you know, it finally all came together, but um, that was scary. So, you know, you're on board with Harvey, but the first step to really get this going is to get Halifax County to say, yeah, you guys are okay to do this. We heard Harvey's side of it, but what, what was the process? All right, I'll leave Harvey's side uh, alone because you've heard that from him directly, so why should I reinterpret that? <laughs> so, from my perspective, we went to meet Jerry Lovelace, the planning director, and I asked him, you know, what do we need to do to get this open? What process would you like us to follow? Right. And he's kind of rolling his eyes, and you're like number 17 to come through my office in the last 17 years, and I really don't want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> About PIR. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. people just had, you know, they wanted something for nothing. They right. really didn't have a plan. They just wanted to open and just. Right. I'm going to yeah. bring in so much money, but I have no plan. Yeah. yeah. And that they should agree. He goes, well, we have a very specific zoning ordinance, and, you know, you're going to need a conditional use permit. And so if we would just follow that process paragraph by paragraph, that would be so lovely. And I'm like, okay, so when can we do that? And so I came down, we sat in his office, and we wrote together, you know, our application to match their zoning ordinance. And he introduced me to people that could advise us on EMS, could advise us on sanitary, the different things they were concerned about. And we didn't know jack about, you know, we had to meet the right people to say the right things so they would trust us. So we did that. And we got all of our permits for our entire master plan in two meetings. Wow. And opened and started construction. And from the day I met Harvey to the day we opened was 22 months. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. But it was just following their Doing what process. they needed. Yeah, exactly. And taking that seriously. And it really was, you know, like I think the bank is my partner. The insurance company is my partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're looking over my shoulder to make sure I'm doing it right because they have a dog in the hunt. Yeah, absolutely. And so did Jerry. You know, he said, let's just do this right. And then I've had to go back and amend things over time. But, you know, I just call them on the phone and they're like, yeah, that, that shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Harvey gave us the impression it was very much a, you know, like a, what would be equivalent of like a, you know, a council meeting kind of thing, hat in hand. And they just said, go do what you must do. But it sounds like, no, there was a lot more strategic writing on your end, knowing what the process was. So by the by time you guys got to the. I don't know what the commission, I guess, would be what yeah, it was called. Yeah, the uh, Board of Supervisors. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time you get to the Board of Supervisors, you'd already gone through all the steps to know exactly what they needed to prove. So it was kind of already done. Well, the zoning committee recommends to the board what they should do. Yeah. So I knew that had been recommended positively. Mm-hmm. But Harvey does do very good presentation. And he, you know, he sells the romance around what we're doing. Yeah. And I sell the nuts and bolts. Yeah. And Again, so together that's the, uh, it worked really well. Septic and yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what color? I'm like, I don't know. Pipe. You know? <laughs> Do you have a lead? Do you have something lead? Yeah. Yeah. So from start to finish, 22 months to open the place up. Who's the first group that approaches you guys about having a real big event? Well, our first race was the SCCA mm-hmm. regional. 
And they were here March 17, 2000, for the weekend. Mm-hmm. And Harvey was here, and we walked Monday morning, and there is rubber and tire marks and, you know, runoff. I mean, everything's a mess. Yeah. And we're like, oh, my God, look what they did. Our, Our baby. baby. <laughs> <laughs> Get used to it. And, uh, and then yes. they, you know, then we go out and sweep it. And it's like, yeah, it's fine. You're right. You know. Right. And then Christmas Day of, I can't remember, it was 2000 or 2001, AMA called. Mm-hmm. Me at home. Wait, Christmas Day? Christmas Day. My what parents were furious. Yeah, who was running AMA? Was that Roger? Yeah, it was before him. Okay, yeah. I'm trying to remember who called. But... I said, yeah, sure, we'd like to know about it. Also, it's but Christmas. Can you call me maybe in two weeks? Yeah. Well, I finally got a minute, you know, like I was supposed to be real impressed he was that busy. He could only call Christmas morning. I'm like, you need a life. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a terrible scheduling. I don't know if I want to work with you. You guys got the permission from the uh, from the county. Mm-hmm. You're good to go. You can break around the next day if you want. All you know to this point is building shopping centers right. or, or, or retail outlets. What in the build phase caught you off guard? Not much. I mean, because, really? you know, I surround myself with Peter, people better than I am. Mm-hmm. And so Larry was our excavator. He knew every inch of the ground from having raised all the cows here. Right. And hay. And so he knew where the water pooled. He knew where the water ran. He knew, you know, all the topography. And building the paddock was, I didn't think we'd ever finish that damn thing. <laughs> right. I mean, it was just a problem. Wait, and, so uh, run me through. Well, it had two sinkholes. Mm-hmm. The engineer plan, of course, didn't work. And I like, should never say that probably, but I like to build with farmers who build from the seat of their pants. I mean, they know where the water goes. Right. And, you know, and it does. And so that was back in an earlier day when the EQ regs were not so hard anyway. But, okay. you know, we put all our detention, did all the right things, but we built it from farmers' butts instead of engineer plans. And then we had a concrete guy who was a drag racer in Roxbury, who did all of our concrete mm-hmm. work. And a water sewer guy who put all of our underground in, and me. And so we hung out all the time. <laughs> and then Dick Lee, who used to do the safety at Monterey, mm-hmm. was our safety guy. And he would fly in and kind of make sure that the runoff we were doing met grade and how far away were we going to put the guardrail and make sure that we didn't um, expose trees and just the commonsensical stuff. But it was a lot of cut and fill, which right. we did with Larry. And Lean Dick in. would just come out and um, bless it. Yeah. So it was, you know, pretty non-eventful. When you're building a shopping center, it's usually where there's population. Therefore, the area usually has some sort of infrastructure with working sewers, water lines, whatever. How much of a challenge was that for you guys to just sort of figure out how to even create the infrastructure that uh, you otherwise didn't have? We didn't even have electricity. Nothing. Right. I mean, there was like one lonely wire like Whoville that didn't go anywhere. And that was it. I mean, there was never any water and septic. We were, went up Spectator Hill behind the tavern where the, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, and it had this corrugated metal. It said men and women. And you went behind it, and there's nothing there. <laughs> that was it. Pick your tree or whatever. Pick your tree. Yeah. yeah so um, there was nothing here. But that's really not that big of a stretch. You know, right, crowd control, right. just where do you put stuff and how do you do it? And a lot of it's the expense and infrastructure of, you know, fencing and crowd control. Mm-hmm. And, Really not that. How many times have you peed outside at this racetrack? Oh, hundreds. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Especially in construction. Right, yeah. It's like, you get that side of the Jeep, I get this side of the Jeep. (laughs) 
so it sounds like you and Harvey weren't eye to eye. Is that because he wanted it to be more of a private or a club track versus a pro yes. place? He, he really liked the club track mm-hmm. model and didn't want to pave the paddock, didn't want to do some of the infrastructure that's required to do the pro racing, and right. really didn't want to jeopardize the look and feel of VIR. Mm-hmm. And I felt like we could do that. We could do both. Yeah. You know, we could protect the look and the legacy and the friendliness and the, you know, just all the things we are sure and still have modern stuff and, you know, good pavement and all that. So, yeah. And I like the industrial part cause I love the tenants there and they serve our customers and there's not many tracks you can go to that, you know, you can buy, you know, you, you know, break your transmission or whatever, and you can maybe have it fixed, right. but at least you can get a rental right. and finish your weekend. Yeah. Where did you get the idea for the industrial park? Is that something you came up naturally or from other racetracks? No, Harvey. And I had thought about it early. We, I mean, I have in my attic somewhere our master plan layout that mm-hmm. we did on a napkin, and it looks pretty much like what we did. <laughs> so, like, how can we do this and how can we do that and where should it be right. and how do we, you know, traverse the property? And mm-hmm. I mean, I wish we had a couple of bridges and tunnels and non-cash flowing assets that would move people around. Yeah. But we don't. <laughs> right. You know, right. so hopefully that too will come. But the industrial park, Sasco Sports, was our first tenant, came down from Connecticut. They yeah. served Harvey's vintage race cars, so yeah. he talked them into coming down here. I see. And Danny Marshall, our congressional delegate, had the Synergy team where Kerrigan worked, and mm-hmm. he built a building for the two of them, Right. and that was the first. You build the racetrack, you have the paddock, you're having pro events. Uh, where in line did the go-kart track show up? The go-kart track actually showed up as part of the Safety and Security Institute, okay. which um, this guy, Ivor Wiggum, helped us build. He did some government military training down outside of Gainesville, Florida. Mm-hmm. Back in those times, you either had a resident race school or safety and security training, which Summit Point did and yeah. a couple of smaller tracks. And I liked that model much better because it seemed to be more solid, more diverse. Yeah. And so we built the facility and hired Cal Fry, who was our next general manager in that line of several. And he had run Summit Point. He was an ex-special ops person. Mm -hmm. He was bilingual. He did FBI uh, kidnap negotiations. You know, he brought a a lot of knowledge on that side in addition to the the uh, racetrack side from Summit Point, and he ran Bondurant, too, for a while. So he, you know, kind of jack of all trades, Porsche guy, and he was ready for a change. Mm -hmm. And he led us beautifully for several years. Right. And then found the O'Gara Group, uh-huh. group from Cincinnati, and they wanted to buy the business. Okay. We did not want to sell the business. And told Cal, if you would just, you know, commit for us for several more years, we would rather be homegrown with you. And mm-hmm. he said, this is better for the company. And we sold the business and Cal went with it. I see. Okay. So that was still a good move. We built all our shooting ranges during that time mm-hmm. and the karting track because that was a training facility they used down in Gainesville, but they didn't have a proper track. So right. it just kind of, you know, grew legs from there. If I had it to do over, I would put it right in the middle of everything in VIR sure. so they would see it. So yeah. The tail wagging the dog. Not so hidden away. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a great track. Yeah. It's awesome, but it's kind of hidden away. Like you put hidden it, away. Yeah, you'd forget it's there. In fact, Sean hasn't spent a lot of time like exploring the property here. And when we got to the lodge, he was like, is the lodge here? I'm like, yeah, it's right here. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the go-kart track's like around this way. You know, it's kind of tucked away. And the skeet ranges and an obstacle right. course and different things that yeah. most people don't use don't except for government and military. Right. Yeah. Which we do, 
you know, quite a bit of that. Do they use the racetrack itself? They use Patriot course primarily and um, a little bit of South. And do they do night vision goggle driving? Yes, they do. That's not a rumor. That's real. Yeah. And it's fun as hell to see from the villas (laughs) (laughs) because they have these guys, you know, all dressed up like, you know, foreign terrorists with the night vision and, you know, they're out and you see the infrared and, you know, looking out through the trees and I'm like, don't turn around. (laughs) (laughs) I'm supposed to be here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they're pretty cool. Do you have a thing that stands out as the dumbest thing you have to deal with? Mm. Gosh. And not from track ownership, but like from the building, the nuts and bolts, as you like to put it, what's the dumbest thing that you're like, I can't believe I have to. DEQ. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now, the permitting is ridiculous. We know what that is, but for our audience. For our Department listeners. of Environmental Quality. Ah, I mean, we okay. are not in the Chesapeake Bay watershed, but we have to comply with all the regulations that, that, sucks. that uh, resort to them. And back in the day, we were just governed by Halifax County, and so we would bring their inspector out and show them what we were going to do mm-hmm. and how we were going to monitor runoff, and no problem. Mm-hmm. Now I want to build these man caves up by the villas, and you think it's a federal case. <laughs> so... I'm hoping to get a timeline and cost, but you know, if you have to amortize all that in one building, you can't do it. You right. know, if you get to amortize it over your next seven, fine. But when do the permits expire? Can I get all that done by then? Mm-hmm. If they have to be pre-sold and finance, you know, so that's the headaches of so development. A, a property this big with buildings running through, obviously racing cars, all the liabilities come with that. When it comes to something like regulation that you have to deal with, you say that's the biggest part that you, you don't know what to expect. Is that, a personality thing where everything just takes too long or they're asking for things that are too demanding or what would you say like a little both i mean certainly it's personality based because i want it yesterday on the phone yeah and um just when they ask for things that aren't reasonable like in my opinion the old regulations we did a whole master plan and everything you could ever build in your wet dream and then some was 16 percent impervious surface of all of our acreage and the, or I'm sorry, 11%, and the cutoff was 16%. So, and we would never build all that. Mm-hmm. Well, now they threw all that out, and you have to permit every single little thing individually with water quality and water quantity and right. stormwater credits. And So if you build a new barn within that sort of allocated property that you've already gotten approved. Well, we had it allocated, and then they decided they didn't like that anymore, so they took it all away. And that's what's frustrating, because that made sense, and you could do the studies and comply and go on, you know, yeah. indefinitely. So even in 2019, it's your property. It's not cutting down any more trees or anything like that. No. But if you decide you want to expand the permanent garages out here, you're now looking at a six month process or at more least. Right, yeah, at least. Right. of just getting approvals before right. you can even. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I tell these, um, you know, people who call like, oh, I'm going to build a Okay, That's track. not what you call them. You, po- you took a pause because you clearly were trying <laughs> to call be the media guard. What do you call them? <laughs> mm, plonkers. <laughs> no, they call and it's like, hey, I want to build a racetrack. Can you help me? No. Oh. <laughs> do, so, you, do you then go on social media and complain about it? Like, do you no, write like do a, listen to this? Well, we call them paper tracks. There's so many tracks that are proposed and never get built, and they have these miraculously similar marketing personas, whatever you want to call it, the presentation, it's always a, you know, $40 million vintage car going through a beautiful scenic countryside. And right. I'm like, awesome. 
Has anyone ever called to do due diligence? Who's going to do the septic on that? Yeah, That's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, and it's pretty easy to build, but it's really hard to operate. Right. Right. Because, right. I mean, that's a big dream. But Monticello, you know, up in New York, they've yeah. done that exceptionally well. Yeah. But they are true to what they do. It either gets a member or keeps a member. Or we're not doing it. Right. right and right. most people don't have that discipline. Sure. So, I mean, so let's, I, I can't, let's say it's a, uh, like a podcast. I knew this was coming. <laughs> I was like, so you mean to tell me that people. Um, so you do something that's sort of considered a high quality and all of a sudden unique. every unique something that's, that, that people seem to really respond well to. And all of a sudden you seems like you get one of two different approaches. People who all of a sudden call you like that you may not know and you owe them something like wanting to know what headsets and sound recording equipment you use. I mean, I mean, what I mean, construction sorry. groups you use, yeah, what you use, who for, you use for sewer management, pavement. Yeah. yeah. You get those kind of calls. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you come across marketing decks of people who are going to do exactly like what VIR does. Yeah. It's going to be a Colorado version of VIR. Exactly. Um, and, but and without, the Without, operation yeah, you, know? I yeah, mean, right. you can build it and that's pretty fun you know mm -hmm. to build it and that's what i think is so amazing about the paper track people they want their ego on that track yeah and right. that was the best thing harvey and i did is not put our ego on the track we followed the track that was here yeah, it was yeah. awesome it was as um, kerrigan says built before lawyers and yeah. as i say when sex was safe and racing was dangerous and it's awesome i mean yeah. it's and it's a great track we just did good runoff and good grading and all the things to make it safer, but we never f***ed around with the track. <laughs> so you're saying the key ingredient in the success of this race track was letting the track tell its own story <laughs> and, and letting it be true to what it is rather than putting your own spin on it. I think so. Huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Harvey wanted to name corners after his kids but that's as far as he went and he that's, didn't that's okay yeah. i don't but think he anybody he he deserved yeah. he would have earned that in my opinion because yeah. he well, did help bring this place back no he did but he still he didn't did. do it yeah. he didn't he was awesome you know he just said well i said i don't know anything about racing but it seems to me like the turns get named by the people who drive them because of some personality quirk mm -hmm. so as soon as we opened the turn one of the south course got nicknamed a bitch <laughs> Because it's a double apex, decreasing radius, off-camber turn. Right, it's right. fun as hell, yeah. but it's a bitch. And, and then the did it get one of his ex-wife's names? No. Oh, he only has one. They okay. seem to get along. But, okay. Well, that's not as fun. Yeah. Well, he's you know pretty decent guy. So then you go up the north course, and it got named Stevie Wonder, which never really stuck. But people We're bringing say it back. because you do like this going up, and it's blind. Oh. You know? Okay. Oh. <laughs> But I it's thought true. you saved it, and then no, nope, you went right off the cliff. I thought you were going down. <laughs> and it's blind. Yep, it is. So, what about um, aggressive complimenting? Because every driver I know likes coming here, and like, let's just say, for argument's sake, the Kansas <laughs> Road Course. Have you ever talked to anybody from that? track that was like oh well it must be nice to have such a unique layout we had to work with this mm -mm. no nothing like no, that no greg walker will be here on friday from charlotte first time oh, okay. you know so kerrigan and i did go down to look at the roval right kerrigan. how hard did you laugh how hard did you laugh pretty hard <laughs> <laughs> but you know i mean and kerrigan's pretty vocal you know in a very nice way yeah. and some changes were made right right and then you know it was better and then we've been back since and yeah. so you know i think at least the heart's right i don't know how kansas is or anything but uh it's excellent how dare you yeah. so that's uh it's a fan favorite you know kind of interesting but right. i don't understand 
Roval, that's just like a cheater thing. You yeah. know, it's just, it's not true to anything. Harvey had referenced the inspiration for this facility with the ski resorts that he'd been to where they're, they're made for upper end clientele. And prior to VRR, that really wasn't a thing in the U.S. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but if let's say this was Harvey's brainchild as a concept, where did it sound like you wanted to build some industrial parks and some obvious recurring income that you could have yeah. in terms of leasing out. But where did you stand on that general concept of this needs to be a private member country club style facility? Totally disagreement. Really? So when I first was introduced to Harvey and we got together and started, you know, putting together a business plan and going for financing, I'm like, you know, that's, that's a lovely thought. And he said, you know, we're going to be the masters. We're going to be able to charge unobtainium because people are going to want it to be exclusive and they're going to pay for that privilege. And I'm like, what are you smoking? You know, so over time and talking with the bank and whatnot, I said, I think we can have a small component of club, but I think we need to be for everybody. Everybody wants to drive on track. I mean, that's another thing you say. It's your favorite country road in captivity. And if you can drive, we've got a home for it. I mean, that's the model I'd rather follow, not the country club. And when we opened this country club, that was behind not having a champion, the hardest thing to overcome because people thought, oh, you're a club track. And Harvey didn't know at the time, and I sure didn't know, that club track is not necessarily a term you want to be called. So, In motorsport? Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah, now we know that in steroids. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, like, I'm trying not to like insult other yeah. jurors. No, and we're well, not, you know, you know yeah, but yeah. you know, it's just say it's Monticello, true. they're a club track, but they mm-hmm. are a club track yeah. and, they, and they do it. that exceptionally well. Yeah. And it's a great business model for right. them. Mm-hmm. We were never going to be that. Right. But it sounds like that's kind of the balance between you two. So racing has this real interesting characteristic among people who participate where a lot of folks live in what I would call a bubble where you think it's much bigger than maybe it really is, <laughs> where you think there's millions of viewers and everyone cares and you realize, no, nah, it's the same. It's niche. It's, it's the same very small <laughs> yeah. niche of people. Um, and then you came from a very non-motorsport background where you could give a crap. You lived in Martinsville and still never went to that track. Yeah. So you came from that other side where no one cares about racing. So the idea that it's going to be entirely funded by people paying an annual due is just not not going to cut it in the way that you saw the business landscape. So it seems like that was a good marriage. Yeah, I think so. I mean, our club is real important to us, but it's 18 days a year. Right. People we care hugely about because they're part of our extended family. And they're our best advocates going out there with, um, you know, repeats and referrals, group business. They come for the events. But they're just here. You know, they we don't charge a lot for club. It's all online. And um it's just a small component of what Harvey really wanted, but it never became the exclusive, you know, you have to pay to play. It, it, we became very inclusive. We wanted people, if, if you're a track rat or wannabe, you can be here and you can be comfortable. You know, so whether you start out in touring lights and then get up to high speed or whatever car you drive, we're careful to make sure they progress at a level they're comfortable with. Right. But then and, also, if you're a club track, you're not going to get big series that come here that are going to bring their fan base that are going to bring people for three to four days. And yeah. the beauty part of road racing is that it very often brings out families at camp and it becomes a weekend experience. Yeah. I know a lot of our fans that come here for the sports car races, they come here not only for the race, but also for the camping experience. Yeah. They love the camping yeah. and we're hoping to expand that. We've been, yeah. you may see in turns one to five that those trees have become thinner over time. Mm-hmm. And that area is going to be recaptured as a camping area. And then yeah. 
down the uh, long straight to the water tower. Yeah, but every because one of those has great viewing. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. every one of those people are paying to come be a part of that. Yeah. And if you're a club track, Monticello doesn't have a lot of camping, I imagine, for their fan base. Probably not. <laughs> because it's not what that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so to us, all that adds up for, mm-hmm. you know, revenue. And the attraction to us of the big races is, you know, the unquantifiable. We don't know what the halo effect of that is, but we think it's in keeping with our culture. Right. And, you know, our homegrown you know, racers and inclusivity yeah. and all that. So if we just had to calculate it based on a normal P&L statement, you'd never do it in a million years. Right. But, you know, the halo is great. So for as long as, I don't remember when the lodge got built, where we're staying. It was the <laughs> first um, year of Grant Am, okay. which I think was 2008. Maybe in 2005. Mm. Oh, five minutes. Yeah. I'd say it's 05. 05. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, because Harvey wanted black towels. I also like that we're all guessing and you own the place. <laughs> no, no. I mean, we <laughs> have. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah we have a spreadsheet of all that. But, you know, I'm like, well, give me the spreadsheet. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> but we. Uh, we'll go with this. Some, so, it was pretty funny building the lodge. This, you know? Right. So the lodge has been around a long time. Yeah. At what point do you decide to build a hotel on track? And that's like what we're going to do. And that was in the original plan. Okay. So it always was there. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I don't know why Harvey thought that the club members would need that, but we knew that the racing community needed it. And yeah. there's not at the time anyway, there weren't many hotels that were good around mm-hmm. here. Right. So, Cause it's very rare that you go to a racetrack in this country and you can stay that yeah. close to pit lane. And this is a little bit out there from Danville, you know, but yeah. it's, it's not unusual for people to come here and stay either in the lodge or right above the garages. Oh, not at all. Yeah. And it really, cause I've been to almost every track in the country now that we're not much further than anywhere else. Like yeah. Scott Atherton said it so well as he does so often. He's very good at talking. Yes. Yeah, he's like, Oh my God, you know, this is forever. And it like took me like 95 minutes here. I said, well, it only takes your son 75 <laughs> from the airport. And then, cause Reed was the intern here and he lived with me and it was really fun. But then the next time he says, Oh, you know, this is really quite easy and very pleasant. And then the third time it's like, Oh my God, I'm here already. I said, and it takes everybody three times. And then you realize we're just over an hour from two pretty good airports. It's not as remote as it feels the first time when you all your neighbors are cows or tobacco farms. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. I want to ask some random track operational questions that I honestly don't know, but I'm just curious at how much toilet paper. Oh God, I don't know, but we are asking that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are. We just appointed a purchasing agent to say, why are we all doing this? One person should do it. And then we know. <laughs> Fair. That's what I wanted to know. We all know about liability insurance for race cars on a dangerous racetrack. Things happen. What are the liabilities that are out there for a track like this? Well, that's another thing we're doing. So we are revisiting all of our insurance to make sure that we don't have any gaps in coverage and we have um, appropriate coverage. We don't have doubles or gaps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mostly it's just we uh, main business is renting the racetrack and then we pass that liability on to the renter. Yes. With IMSA, we carry the liability. And it's pretty straightforward. There's a few um, insurance companies that do the insurance, and you work with them and make sure that you meet the contractual obligations. And knock on wood, we haven't had any problems. So how many policies are out there right now on one facility? 
We probably have about six. Six insurance mm-hmm. policies. Yeah, because we have liability, then you have, you know, slip and fall, property, right. health insurance, you know, just those different things. Okay. So nothing too different from outside of the, the race car component, nothing too different from, from no. what you would have in a shopping center. No, yeah. not really. Okay. Uh, Income-wise, what are the what are all of the streams of income that come to a place like this? Well, we're different because there's no other track that has all the things we have that I know of anyway. So our primary stream of income is track rental, followed by lodging rental. Yeah. Um, follow- tra- track rental is including racing, like IMSA. And- well, no, IMSA they don't pay track. You rental. guys pay them to show. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so so the pro racing, by and large. You pay the sanctioning fee and right. they bring yeah. the show and you pay all the associated expenses. And that's pretty standard for all racetracks. You make yeah. a bid yeah. hoping that you're one of the so many designated racetracks and you hope to make that back by either ticket sales concessions or just big picture yeah. halo racetrack thinking. I mean, literally it's one hamburger at a time. And I mean, it's like car corrals, right. advanced ticket sales, you know, a little bit of hospitality, a little bit of sponsorship, you know, just all the different pieces and because we have all the lodging and food and beverage and we mm-hmm. do that all ourselves, you know, that becomes a profit stream. So what I caught there is that your biggest thing is track rental, which makes Absolutely. sense. And your second thing would be lodging, which to me means that lodging is now more important than concessions mm-hmm. and ticket sales for racing. Absolutely. Which is kind of eye opening. Yeah. Yeah. So because we've been at our lodging for a while and we're pretty good at it yeah. and um, it does add a lot. So yeah. we run our facility as three companies under one umbrella. So we have track operations, which also includes the events mm-hmm. and then the lodging and food and beverage mm. and then, you know, team building and carding, you know, they fall under corporate events like different, that, um, yeah. you know, umbrellas and none of that is really standalone, but it brings that extra you know during the week when you have some capacity or you've got racers here and they can go karting so we're very focused on that next little bit and it's important to us when we are trying to put our calendar together like which renters bring that extra little bit yeah 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 and then you also have leasing income from yeah the industrial parks that's leasing income Um, and then also the villas the villas are interesting because there's we own some Mm -hmm. Well, we don't need more. Actually, we don't own any. I own one. And, Attic girl. Um, That's just yours. And the Stouts own one, but Harvey sold his to the Stouts, and then all the others have been sold, and mm-hmm. some put them in the rental pool, others don't. We get a little you know, profit margin from the management of that, but not much, sure. but it's such a great amenity to have on site yeah. that I'd love to have so more. So basically, it's the one-time sale of that property, and then the equivalent of like an HOA. Yeah, we have an HOA. Yeah. yeah. But they bring... Um, usually very interesting guests and people that we would like to be exposed to and have here. And right. it just makes our guest experience that much better. So. Cool. How many hot dogs a year are we talking? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I need this purchasing agent's contact info immediately. I can find that out though. That'd be interesting. <laughs> how many pounds of bacon? I got to know I know that we now. did find out how many hamburgers we sold for Bubba Burger. And they said, what? It was like 10,000 plus <laughs> hamburgers a year. It's a lot of hamburgers. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. So the motorsports world is absolutely evolving, especially from like things that you can participate in and that fans can attend. And you guys have the Hypercar Festival? Hyperfest. Hyperfest. It's, it's, it's run by NASA. NASA. And that's kind of like not a race weekend as much as it's just like a car show, a drift show. You guys yeah. do a like power wheels race. <laughs> like Barbie cars. Barbie cars <laughs> down the, you know, in the yeah. hog pen and all that. 
What's that like as a track owner who traditionally hosted either track days and corporate events and races to like pretty much almost like a concert yeah. event? Well, if you ask a track owner that had an Audi and black hair, they might have a different answer than me. Okay. I love it. Okay. It's awesome. It brings out all kinds of different people. Yeah. A lot of individuals, mm -hmm. um, a lot of young people. Every guy and gal has a car guy shirt on. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, just everybody is in car culture. Mm -hmm. And they've got every kind of car from sport compacts to, you know, just old station wagons or whatever. And they're here to have fun and yeah. be part of car culture. And we have a real good time with it. We love the Barbie car racing. <laughs> so the, the that's bar, really fun. Yeah. The, we, we have a mutual friend who's run a few of those. And uh, I've seen, I think through the years, I've seen now three different years of Barbie car race videos. Yeah. It's basically... It's Barbie car or some sort of power wheels type yeah. machine without, the, without the motor. It's yeah. a plastic <laughs> yeah. tire. You just knock the gears off of it so it'll roll. And they yeah. run down the hill. And from the footage I've seen, not gonna, I don't want to say this didn't have insurance companies get on your case. It, doesn't, it seems like every year someone's going to get hurt real bad. <laughs> uh, I've only heard of one person getting hurt a little bit, and she okay. just turned over at the end. Okay, so you know, at what like point does this go away? What's it going to take right. for you guys to stop doing it? Because we want it to keep going. Yeah, it's great. Oh, uh, I really don't but, want it to stop. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, really it's fun. Keep going. <laughs> I mean, as long as it, I mean, every element of motorsport, you know, uh, even Barbie car has yeah. some <laughs> element of something. Otherwise, I mean, if you don't have to sign a waiver, why do it? Right. You know, it's like. That's what I always say. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't see that going away. So you're and then that's saying, followed up by the burnout competition yeah, and the sure. loud exhaust. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just goofy <laughs> while people are drinking. Can you <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, though. <laughs> what is the attendance like for Hyperfest in comparison to something like the IMSA weekend that comes here? Oh, well, they take care of their tickets. We take care of ours, but they look pretty damn similar. Really? Yeah. And Hyperfest has only been around. And it's camping everywhere. Yeah. I mean, they're everywhere. And what, one of the things that happened this year that we thought was so cool, however many trash cans you put out, they will fill them up. <laughs> and they will walk around and pick up trash and throw it away yeah. and wait for it to be emptied, and then they'll put some more in there. Right. I mean, they're just, it's different. Uh -huh. And everybody's like, cool, you know, and it just kind of floats along. It's like going to a dead concert outside with cars, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's really fun. So it's just a different feel. But I like it because it's so young yeah. and they're coming along and they're finding a way to do whatever it is they want to do around car culture. So I do the Hot Rod Power Tour every year, which is a different group of people mm -hmm. kind of trying to do the same thing. But I, I didn't even know that thing existed until I went with Continental. And Hyperfest is in line with the events like Grid Life. Mm -hmm. And if I'm a sports car series, I'm looking at events like that going, we might have a problem on our hands. Because this is getting big traction. It's been around for five minutes. Yeah. We've been around for 50 years. Yeah. That's looking pretty good. How do we compete with these kids that are doing this? And as a track owner, I'm curious on your perspective, like, do you see anything from series like IMSA or SRO, whatever we're calling yeah. it this week, yeah. <laughs> that, that are acknowledging that? I haven't heard any of that discussion. Right. Now, back in the day when um, Grand Am had Roger Edmondson there, mm -hmm. and we had two Grand Am events. So yeah. we had the full Grand Am with Continental Series, and then we had just the Continental in the fall, mm -hmm. and we did something called GT Life. That's right. Yeah. And I'm I like, that. I want the GT Life. And he's like, You do? Okay. You know, and so we did that, and it was really a version of. Grid life and hyperfest. Yeah. So they did the hyper drives and it was all about experiential. Mm -hmm. 
So they were doing racing on the full course in the background, and then certain times of day, it was before we had the Patriot course, yep. they would do hot laps or some drifting, yes. you know, as exhibition. But it was hugely entertaining, and people really liked it and said, you know, I might not ever do this, but at least I can experience it, and I might do it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, if people never get in, they'll never do. Right. So I, I just always liked that GT life, and that became, you know, for us, hyperfuss. Yeah. Again, general stuff. How many days a year does this place operate? We rent a racetrack about 380 times a year. And we are, that equivalents back to about 265 calendar days because we have two we can do simultaneously. Right. So we're really busy from March 1 through mid-December almost every single day. And then the rest, we close from Christmas to New Year's and the rest of it's about half the time. So... It's busy. And then we've got, you know, weddings and corporate events and carding and Navy SEALs and all that, too. Why is VAR the best racetrack in North America? Because we didn't change it. And it was built with a guy on a bulldozer, you know, following the natural terrain of the land around rocks and trees. And it was cool. Built before lawyers, before when sex was safe and racing was dangerous. Also, that we look at VIR as this is just our turn with its legacy. We're not going to have it forever. We want to make sure that we pass it through the generations to someone else who will love it as much as we do. And as Kerrigan says, you know, we don't have VR work for us. We work for VIR, and it always comes first. So we're just not, you know, it's not about us. It's about VIR. What grade FIA rating does VIR have? Two. I believe Coda has the one and Indy from doing the um, MotoGP and the Formula One races and all the IMSA series has two and some of the other tracks have three for some of the other sanctioned events. And we take that very seriously and um, it's interesting when you have your inspection because there's protocol but there's no rules and so it becomes like how safe is your track what efforts what do you see what do you present what are you working on Mm -hmm. it's a more holistic approach which we really appreciate because we're always you know trying so hard i know we've got you know things we'd like to be better and we're getting to it you know we've been doing that forever and we will continue one thing that we have learned from our show is um even when you do a good job you get hate (laughs) <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> and we've been lucky that our fans are pretty awesome. And I know VIR fans are really awesome. But you guys had this iconic corner called the Oak Tree. <laughs> yeah. And then one day, torrential storms come through, blow down a bunch of trees on the property, but the Oak Tree goes down. The biggest thing I read about VIR when it comes to, like, hate on the Internet is, like, why didn't they fix the tree and put the tree back? <laughs> like, you know, things like that. Yeah. Is that the biggest complaint you've heard in a while? Well, yeah, that's a pretty vocal one. Yeah, because right. people don't get it, and they just want the oak tree back. I'm like, well, A, you can't grow it in 200 years. And B, <laughs> the FIA won't let you put it back in the middle of a turn. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So I didn't realize that. Oh, the, no. The FIA won't let you put it back. No. Because... I mean, it was there, and it was part of the historic track, and that's one of the kind of allowances that they will try so, to work with you on. They're not going to make you cut down an iconic feature of your track if you can treat it safely, which I think we did. Okay. No one ever hit it so in our I'm lifetime. Gonna, I'm on the Internet side on this one because, to me, that's bullshit. So you mean to tell me that, well, because it's already there, it's safe enough. 
but now that it's gone, it's not safe any. Like, come on, it was well, already there. Yeah. So, so to me, that sounds like well, no one's died yet from the tree. We'll leave it alone. <laughs> well, I think that's pretty much the way it was. Okay, so I'm on team internet hate on that's this one. Okay. If, but that's not your fault because I'm pretty sure if they didn't, if they said do whatever you want, you'd probably figure something out. Yeah, you know, we planted the son of oak tree. I don't right. You yeah, know, no, I'm so aware. it's grown from yeah. an acorn. It's on the outside of the turn. It yeah. was kind of the best we could do with what we thought would be prudent. Now, would we grow a great big oak tree where it was just because it was? Probably not. Mm -hmm. You know, they just went around it because that's where the bulldozer went when they built it the first time and we were glad to keep it. I mean, we've got oak tree tavern, oak tree bomb. Yeah, no, it's it's a big deal here. Yeah, Yeah. and people were building shrines and sending us pictures and I thought that was so cool. (laughs) So, So when a fan says, why not just drag a tree from out in the woods and replant it right there, which happens all the time in the world, the, I'm assuming the actual response is the FIA won't let you. The, yeah, they discourage it, and we just choose not to also. I okay. mean, we can't replace what was here. Sure. I mean, we just can't. And we do have the closest proximate thing by having an acorn from the tree. Yeah, probably. no, it's a cool legacy, so, but I'm probably not going to live to see it yeah, make its me way either. back. Yeah. It's taller than I am. That's so not saying a lot. What but. this is going to turn into is when I'm like 65, I'm going to be like, back in my day, <laughs> it would rain and the track would dry, but it would still be wet, you know, things yeah. like that. And there were yeah. acorns on it. I mean, we'd right. run out and yeah. sweep it in between I was, race. I was <laughs> telling Sean that one time when we were testing here and it rained and um, we came around, you know, I did, it was like one car test, you know, no one else is here. We got to place ourselves and I do a lap and then I come up and there's like waving yellows <laughs> and I'm like, how, I'm the only car here. How can there be waving yellows? <laughs> and it's because a branch had like broken and came down online, like as I'm coming out of the S's. And I remember laughing yeah. like, that's so cool because it's terrible. <laughs> It's not right, yeah. but it's unique, you know, and that's what yeah, made that does. corner for me. And we miss it, and there are pictures of it yeah. all over, and right. it'll be a long time before people forget. Sure. So. Oh, absolutely. So if that if that is what I think is the biggest thing you guys get crap for, what is the biggest thing you get crap for? The only What comes to mind, just top of mind, yeah, yeah. is when we canceled our AMA race in 2010, mm-hmm. we didn't have a contract, it would have been in default. Right. When the ink dried. Yeah. And so we canceled it. And it was a very scary but courageous thing to do. It was the right thing to do. But, of course, we got blamed that, you know, you just did it for money. Yeah. And Road Racing World wrote this article about me and said that I was just um, must be made of greed, greed and sloth. I'm like, Who wrote oh, it? Wow. You, you got a name? I don't. Oh, you got to remember those names. I think it's John. He's the editor. Ulrich. John Ulrich, we're, and, we're know, bringing this up. And I was like, I mean, I was devastated. I mean, because I'm not greedy and sloth. Wait, you Give mean me reading these horrible things about you was upsetting? Yeah. Publicly? Yeah. I mean, I didn't like it. And then this guy called and left me a voicemail, you know, just a local person. And he didn't give his name. And he says, I don't know who made you the boss lady, but you done took something away we got for free. And I thought, and we got emails and other staff members yeah. got calls and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we had canceled the track. No. Well, maybe if they had gotten advance tickets or said, you know, we really like this race, you yeah. know, thank you for doing it. Or, you know, any show of support mm-hmm. that we would know how people felt that would have entered into the equation, but they didn't. Right. So we didn't have a contract, so we didn't have the race. Sure. And then luckily, um, Daytona Motorsport Group had it at the time. Right. And we had really great conversations that, you know, led to having it back again and all. But right. It was just such a horrible experience, you know, being blamed yeah. for 
things we didn't. So over the course of the podcast, we've sat down with a handful of different track managers or track owners, and all of them have one common thing that they all say, which is that they're there are things they didn't expect that never end. So Tony Stewart, when he was talking about Eldora, was saying that he never, he never understood just how much it's never over right. in terms of reinvestment and building this new thing this year and whatnot. What's the part That's of true. running a track that caught you, that's caught you off guard the most? Harvey and I learned very quickly that we had a tiger by the tail, that what we envisioned to build was never going to be enough and it was never going to stop. And that's where your vision for operating gets separate because he wanted to be a club track and I wanted to be everything. And, you know, we had to pursue that in our own ways. And that's when I bought him out with the Stouts and, you know, kept pursuing bigger, better. Because I think the world deserves BIR and we deserve to have everybody here for all we do. And so we keep striving to just keep doing more. But it will never stop. (laughs) It will never stop. Currently... Daytona and Sebring are, especially Sebring, are known for being party tracks. Mm-hmm. And unbeknownst to us, until we sat down with Harvey, VIR was a party track. Like it was more about that, and that might have actually led to a bit of its demise in the in the yeah. early days. Do you want that back? Do you want people mm. coming here like let's go to the big party and maybe a race is going to break out? We do that with Hyperfest right. to some degree, and I think if we did that. A couple times a year so that that was part of an event, not mm-hmm. part of our DNA. Yeah. That would be great. I mean, I like the party um, much more than Harvey, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want it to be that all the time, yeah. you know, because we're more than that. We're different than that. And I think one of the things I love most about VIR and I think our consumers do is that we adapt. You know, we if you want to be a landlord, think like a tenant, you know, if you <laughs> right. want to serve that customer base, then that's how you serve them. And sometimes a year, I think we should have a big party. Sean and I spend a lot of time together. We're obviously doing this whole thing, just the two of us. And not that you guys were alone, but you were definitely the two in charge of that. What was the biggest, what was the longest amount of time you didn't speak over an argument over something? Oh, that never happened. Really? It never happened. No, because we both believe that never go to bed angry. So he's going back to New York. I'm here in Virginia. And one of us would call and say, let's just talk in the morning. Yeah. You know, just anything. Because, you know, you just, it's too much. I mean, it's so much work and it's so much emotion. It's so much passion. (laughs) It's all this money you don't have, you know, and you're just trying to make it happen. You can't be angry about it. And his whole attitude was, if we're not having fun, we're not doing it. And so, you know, I started racing to beat him. That was, <laughs> that was like, really I guess you did too. Finally. Oh my God. <laughs> it took me years. I mean, we're going up in an oak tree and I'm driving a Datsun 510. Nice. Right? Very cool. 1972. Yeah. Harvey's driving this Elva Courier that I finally learned about. And I pass him. And he, as I'm passing him, he points me by. I get down in the paddock. I'm stomping my little feet, throwing my helmet on the ground. You you know, just how could you, you don't point me by, you pointed me by, you know, exactly. And he's like mechanical failure. I'm like, you weenie. Really? All races so, are the same. They're oh my God. Same. I mean, this is vintage yeah. racing with me and right, Harvey, right? Right, right? So then finally we're racing another time here. And I went through the uphill S's in the middle of two cars, threaded a needle. <laughs> nice. And Harvey's like, 
you're dangerous. You shouldn't have done that. And I'm like, I did. And I won. <laughs> and then after that, that was it. Except for Road Atlanta, he beat me again. And I lost my gear shift and I was still doing it. And my hands all bloody and the gloves all beat up. And he beat me. <laughs> Racers. <laughs> I'm new to Virginia. I want to bring my significant other out to the, out to the area. Okay, the racetrack speaks for itself. Uh, where do I need to take them in the area? You need to go on the Virginia Tourism website and look at the route you're traveling because there's Virginia's full of history, it's full of geography, mountains, rivers, you know, there's just so much to do. So I would veer towards your activity. I mean, Danville has come a long way in the years that we've been open with the resurrection of the River District, lots of different hotels, nice fountains, outside concerts. I mean, it's just a lot going on there that's fun to partake of, but there's you know, just so much more. I wouldn't miss history or the natural beauty if that's what you're into. So we spent some time in Danville today in the River District, and uh, it's really cool to see all the old brick buildings that have been redone, mm-hmm. the smokestacks, cobblestone roads. Do you feel any sense of responsibility for Danville as a town with its growth? Because Immense. Sorry. Immense. So... Growing up in my household, the dinner conversation was all about economic development and community revitalization. And when I grew up, Martinsville had the highest per capita millionaires in the country. Hmm. And now, with just the loss of the few big industries, you know, Toltex, DuPont, Bassett Furniture, Stanley Furniture, hmm. I mean, it went from 17,000 people to 4,500 lost jobs overnight. So... Danville was an old mill town. Martinsville was pretty cool. And now it's kind of switched places. Yeah. Martinsville's struggling to come along. Danville's come along a lot faster, further, more diversified. And I serve on a number of boards on different economic development initiatives in Danville. That's, that's my personal passion is um, economic development locally and on the state level. So I'm very, very proud of everything that's been accomplished. And I know that BIR is a huge contributor to it. We're the eighth largest employer private and public in Halifax County. So when you go to Danville, the Dan River is a really big deal. It runs right past the racetrack. Uh, beautiful. The landscape around it's phenomenal. And then when it, anywhere, especially in the Southeast, when there's a river like that, there's always industry built around it. So the Dan River Mill was a big yeah. deal here. We have an abundance of water and that attracted the Dan River Mill. You know, back in the old textile days is textile and tobacco which actually created the formation of the Virginia Tobacco Commission, and I served on that for eight-plus years, to take the money from the tobacco settlement and put it back into the communities that lost their textile and tobacco-growing jobs. And it's on very specific formulas, and it's a mixture of political figures and community leaders to help revitalize the area. And one of the things that we did in Danville was build the Institute for Advanced Learning and Research, big glass building at 5829, and then focus on revitalizing the river district using entrepreneurship as the seed. So if you were an entrepreneurial company, you could qualify for certain grant funding and a stipend to live there. So not only did you create business, but you created residency. And it went from zero residents to over 2,000 with a wait list and developers from all over, lots of them from Raleigh, Greenville, D.C. areas, revitalizing those old tobacco warehouses into lofts and and creative offices. It's really cool. And it just found its momentum in the last seven or eight years, and there's no end in sight. So when you get into Danville, there's that giant 
building. It's white. It's like, I think it was a mill at some point. Dan what, River Mills. Yeah, what was that? Dan River Mills, big textile manufacturer, and um, they were the major employer. I think they employed around 4,000. I couldn't swear to it. Now um, the major employer produces aircraft tires, 2,000 employees, mm-hmm. and we're trying very, very hard to bring in small to mid size very um, niche-oriented advanced manufacturing. That's what the um, Institute for Advanced Learning Research focuses on. So advanced manufacturing, additive, and subtractive manufacturing. Haas has a center there with their CNC machines. They put all their people through the training there, Mm -hmm. and that's spread into South Boston that has another higher education center. So we're really into workforce development now to create a ecosystem where the manufacturers can come here and That's find awesome. a place to land which certainly helps our industrial park because it's yeah. all synergistic so you grew up in martinsville which isn't too far from here obviously this is a big mill area danville being a huge place where mills were done yeah. if martinsville is even bigger well exactly apart, so yeah. if somebody was acting up in say high school did people threaten them with they may have to work in the mill if they didn't get their act together Hmm. I don't recall that. I mean, I was student body president at Martinsville, and we were 48% black, 52% white. Not much diversity aside from that. Kind of everybody got along, and I don't remember that. It's like you had detention. Okay. okay. <laughs> so like Papa Earl. I mean, I think they expected to work on the mill. I don't think any, many people aspired to be beyond the mill. It wasn't a threat. It was a promise. Ah, okay. okay. So, so they if you're over- good, you can work on the mill, you know. And okay. oh, wow, you're ruining you everything. Just here. ruined our yeah. show. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, no, you, you never. If met- you were good, you'd get out of Danville. Most of all of our age left, you right. know. Right. And right. some came back because their families were wealthy and had industry or whatever, and they came back. But um, that's what has caused the demise here. Is you were uh, people left. You were student body president. I'm going to, and then you went on to have a very fruitful life in, in commercial real estate. So you were sort of always an overachiever. Did but you, I moved to New York. Right. You, you got out of <laughs> you town. Got out. That's my point. In that move, did you ever say, I ain't ever going to work in that mill? I ain't going to that mill. It never occurred to me working in a mill. Um, Will you go with this just, joke? Just say yes. Oh, say. Okay, sorry. <laughs> we sell a shirt. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I wasn't okay. going to work. It's a long story. Just say, I wasn't going to work in that mill. I was I not going to work in that mill. <laughs> I was, you know, I just won. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so making that happen. That worked. Yeah, show the unedited okay. version, yeah. everybody. So oh, no. What do you work. want me to do? Okay, so we recently sat down with a man named J.F. Musial. Apparently not Musial. And he makes a bunch of TV stuff, uh, all car related. He's got an Ape- He's got a, he has a Netflix show called Apex movie. the Supercar. Or? Yeah, he has a series of movies out on Netflix yeah. called Apex. And he's also created the show Proving he, Grounds, yeah. which is on NBC Sports. But he's a car guy, and we just sat down with him. I would and, love to see Proving Grounds. Yeah, he's, he's a yeah. cool guy. So he wanted to know, what's the worst state you've left a hotel in? <laughs> oh, boy. It was in Asbury Park. Oh, wait. What? You knew right away. <laughs> yeah, because this <laughs> hotel was like, it was full of black mold and the paneling was rotted halfway up the wall and we left it exactly the way we found it it was oh, awful okay. okay so you this didn't transform it it was just a bad hotel yeah well the only trans okay so what's the worst state one of these hotel rooms has been left in oh Ooh, yeah no. how much vomit are we talking 
Oh, it's mostly dildos. (laughs) (laughs) Proceed. (laughs) They left them behind? Yeah, and there's apparently a blue light that you can go in and see everything. That's every hotel. Like, yeah, la, la, say, la, 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 like la. I, I would never want it in any hotel because I'm sure the walls are painted. Time out. Is there a is there a lost and found at VIR of hotel <laughs> stuff? Can we get to it since of our yeah? Our but there's nothing at, fun in there. But damn you can it. go can look at some things. Yeah, yeah, you can make some. We things. We just leave some shit this yeah. week. <laughs> now y'all could do that. Regular people could because then they would believe it. You know? Mostly dildos. That's the first time that's ever been uttered yeah. on our show. <laughs> like that's five that's seasons. Well, yeah. it's, it's mostly, mostly dildos. dildos. Connie and I home. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, housekeepers, I don't know who it was, but they had um, it, they were here for several days and yeah. they had a blow up doll, and and they would leave her in the bed in different. You know, they pull the covers up and leave her leg the same out. People that are here now. Yeah. I love these women. They're awesome. Yeah. And they're just, yeah. they just thought it was the funniest damn thing. And so they would then move the doll into a different position when they would clean the room. And so it became a running joke Amazing. between the guests wow. and the okay. hotel awesome. staff. It's mostly dildos. Connie and I. <laughs> <laughs> Jill would say, damn it, your line was better than mine. Oh, yes, yeah. she would actually. Yeah. yeah. So if you could ask any question of our next guest, who at this moment, we don't know who it is. Uh, what would it be? It doesn't have to be car racing related. Uh, Mario Andretti, who didn't know who our next guest was a couple of years oh, ago, I literally just Mario. said, ask him if he likes dogs. <laughs> uh, I don't know. My favorite question, I guess, is what would you do differently? What would you change? All right. So you, you knew what we were and we're doing this whole video project, <laughs> uh, but you, you didn't realize what all goes into sitting down with us. Um, what do you want the takeaway for people to be from this episode well you asked me the one word and i think that's authentic i'd like to be on their bucket list i'd like them to come here and expect to have the experience they want to have not the one they've had and i love that your legacy is about the place you're working at and not about you yeah i'm nothing well yeah you know i'm just a keeper at this time and harvey set that standard and i thought that was brilliant and i you know he walked the talk i can pass that on and that's what we do. So because this is a recorded media thing, that means that if we say it, it happens, it can be linked to a Wikipedia page. Mm. So what we would like to do is we would like you to give us operational ownership of VIR for one day so we can have our Wikipedia page say Ooh. that we owned VIR for one day. <laughs> well, okay. it would just say we own VIR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So can we get you to sign a contract that says we own VIR for one day? Is it going to be about VIR or about you? It's about us owning VIR. <laughs> what we're doing is I think, well, VIR is very much about story and history. And I think that adds to the story of VIR to have two uh, builders of a media empire yeah. You know, look hey, after I his trust legacy. You. Yes. We'll do it. Yes. That's all we needed. That's all we needed. Because literally now someone can link this interview to media and that'll allow Wikipedia to say it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb. That really is. Yeah. Well, normally we'd say Continental got the check, but you guys have kind of taken care of us here. Oh, you're fine. So Continental got the gas? Yeah. yeah. That works. Yeah. Meow.